Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You know, and you know, you've heard the thing, you know, luck is where opportunity and preparation come together. So that's kind of a typical definition. Luck is something that happens and it will not be luck if you're not prepared. It'll be not, it's not luck if you, if you are not ready for it and, and it passes you by and you make mistakes and it's gone. So, you know, to capitalize on a situation you know, you have to work hard every day. You have to be prepared. You have to make sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed and every hook is sharp and every knot is perfect and, and every lure is just right and your rods are right, your guides are right, and that you're prepared and, and your mind is with that lure when you make that cast that I'm there and I'm working that and I'm not off thinking of, gum, did I leave the and leave the coffee pot on this morning. You know, you, you, you want to be here. You want to be focused. And so um, luck still happens, but if you're not prepared for it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't happen for you. So you got to be prepared for it. And, and, um, and I just think that you can better your chances at, if you're working really hard. And I know somebody's taking full advantage of that right there. Because <laughs> you work your tail off. And they can call it luck, but it's really, really hard work. Hi, I'm Shaw Grigsby, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Today's podcast is one that is a long time coming. When I first made the list of people that I wanted to interview for this podcast, this guy was right on the number one list. He is that way because really of all the people that have helped me, and there have been plenty of people that have helped me in my career, this gentleman has probably helped me maybe, I don't know, it's hard to say more than anyone, but his help came at... Uh, a, an interesting time where I really needed the help. First of all, my first television exposure was due to Shaw Grigsby, and that's today's guest. Um, he had a show called One More Cast. It was on TNN, and we went barracuda fishing, and the response was truly incredible. I booked so many trips off of that and really saw and understood the power of television and really it was fun doing the television show. And when I was doing the television show with him, I was thinking, yeah, I think I could, I could see myself doing something like this. 
um, a few years later, after I had done a couple more shows with him and and the great outdoor games and then a whole bunch of other shows, I decided that, yeah, I think that's what we want to do. Me and Rich talked and we said, yes, we want to do a television show. So the first person I called was Shaw Grigsby, and he was incredibly generous and incredibly um, helpful and said, if that's what you want to do, you can borrow my crew. And so we shot our pilot with his crew. And um, without that help, also of asking plenty of questions and him being very patient uh, with us, uh, we, we really kind of learned how to, how to get started. And um, he probably cut the learning curve a long way. Uh, so I've been forever grateful for him for that. But over the years, I mean, I've known Shaw now for probably 20 years, and um, he has maintained that level of support, help, positivity, and just being an all-around great guy. He is doing it not only for me, he's helped many, many people, and he has a new endeavor that he's starting as a bass fishing coach, where I have no doubt that he's going to help a lot of other people. I don't want to ruin the podcast for you, but this is a great conversation with somebody that means a lot to me, and uh, that person is Shaw Grigsby. Coming up. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Shaw Grigsby. How you doing, man? <laughs> Dude, I tell you, yeah, I'm doing really well. Doing really well. Thinking back on all those days out there in the in the Florida Keys, having a blast with I you. I know it. Man, tarping, tying boats together. We had a lot of that fun. Was, that was, was that not fun. crazy? That that one, yeah, I forgot about that, actually. I tying <laughs> boats together. That you you taught me a lot of things. Um and on that day that I learned even more. And that was that, I mean, I was out there and I'm pulling around in this little skiff and trying to be so quiet. And, and then that we, we go out there and you're like, well, this is the boat we're fishing is a bay boat. I had never been in a bay boat before. <laughs> and then we've got a bay boat as a camera boat. And I'm like, man, we're just not, I don't think we're going to be able to do this. And I didn't think we were going to be able to do it to begin with. And then the trolling motor breaks. Yeah, unbelievable. And I was like, well, I guess we're going home. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. no. We're not going home. (laughs) What we're going to do is we're going to tie the other boat to this one. And we had it tied back about enough to where the camera people were were on the camera boat. It actually worked great. It 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 was the best. I think I might have used that since then, (laughs) like on purpose. Yeah. Like, okay, now we're going to tie them together. And then it's just, it was the perfect angle. And so they could see where we would cast. They could get the bite. But the the camera boat was doing all of the... All the work. Yeah. And we had a dead dummy trolling motor on the first one. But man, (laughs) and we're catching tarpon left and right. That was so fun. Oh my gosh. That was crazy. That was crazy. Um, A lot of fun times, man. That was a lot of fun times. And that was when you were doing one more cast. How many years did you do that show? 
23. 23 seasons. 23 seasons. You're close. How many have you done? Uh, 16. You're close. I yeah. told you. It's not, I know, not far but out. It. It's hard to believe, man. 23 seasons. I probably did that show with you. That you that The show that I did with you for Barracudas was the first television oh. show I ever did. Was it really? Yeah. First television show I ever did. Because you were, you were working with, uh, was it McCutcheon? Marshall Cutchin. Marshall Cutchin, that's he, it. We weren't working together necessarily, but he was all into fly fishing for permit, and he only wanted fly clients, and Woody called him. And he was like, you know what? I uh, I think this is going to be better for you. I think this is going to be a good opportunity. You do this. And I was like, oh, sounds okay. great. Yeah. Sounds great. So go change out. Change your life. It did change my <laughs> life. That one day absolutely changed my life. And what changed it the most was that, um, you know, we went out. We had a nice day. You said, boy, it'd be nice. If we <laughs> Again, it was like all these things that I learned, but we were catching all these nice fish, 14, 15 pound kudas. You're like, boy, it'd be nice. We get a 20. I'm like, what, how much can we possibly do here? I mean, one 15 pounder after another, after another, you're like, yeah, well, we'll probably come back tomorrow and get another one. I was like, ah, okay, I guess. And so we, we went back and sure enough, you got that 20. I can remember exactly where it was too. I can remember exactly where it was. You got that 20 pounder. And, um, so I'm thinking, well, it's, I'm sure it's probably going to be a pretty good show. But that was when you were on TNN, right? Correct. Monday night? Uh, yeah, we well, we had Saturdays and, and uh, yeah, I don't remember all the times. Well, on it, but the ratings were nuts. They must have been because my phone didn't stop ringing. <laughs> <laughs> and it changed it changed everything. I'm like, there's something to this TV thing. Like there is something to it. Like I don't know how else you can you can justify it, but like I had a I had a literal um tape recording uh voice uh what answer machine. machine yeah. And and it had a cassette tape in it, like a 90 minute cassette tape. Full. <laughs> Like it had, it had a red light on it that, uh, that I had never even seen before. Right. Like, yeah, the tape full light. And I walked in one day. I'm like, what the heck is that? What is that red light? And Cynthia's like, I don't know. The phone has been ringing off the hook. And, uh, so I started listening and, and it was another one. Shaw, you know, Shaw Grigsby, Shaw Grigsby, Shaw Grigsby, Barracudas, Shaw Grigsby, Shaw Grigsby, Barracudas. And I was like, wow, this is, this is unbelievable. Barracuda. I, I mean, that's one of the funnest fish I've ever caught. Oh, I my know. God. They go so fast. I think it's the fastest fish in short distance, right? Yeah. Fastest fish for short distance. They jump incredibly high. I mean, it's it's insane. And you use your fish so active, you know, just reeling a bait real fast. Yeah. It was, man, it was fun. I mean, that is the fun part about it, like, that, that really appeals to a lot of bass fishermen. Because if you're used to, like, like throwing a, a, a swim bait or what would you equate that to the most where you're just throwing as far as you can and reeling it in, throwing as far as you can and reeling it in. Yeah. That's a, and you're reeling it fast. I mean, really fast. So you're, you're burning a bait. I don't know, maybe like burning a spinner bait yeah. or something like that, but it, oh, and then all cool. of a sudden it just starts going the <laughs> other way. <laughs> I, I remember him so, so vividly in the, in filming that show and that, you know, I'd be reeling one in, I'd be tight and you're fighting like this. And all of a sudden the line goes slack and you go, Oh man, he cut me off, and I said, "Oh, your yeah. rod's over here. He's going the yes. other way because he's so fast." That, like today, we like would it. have a drone up there, and you would see that the fish oh. would take off like this and do a whole circle. The line is completely slack until you catch up to him over, over here, and you know. But back then, deal. there wasn't any drone. It was yeah. it was really like was that single camera or 
We might have had two cameras. You had I think we had Mark Emery and and I, and Wooten and Wooten. Yeah, I think we had uh, underwater and and above water. And every now and then we do you know another another camera in the boat, so we'd have two. But the the underwater was always scary. That was you know, especially salt water. We we've had some close calls. Yeah, but you, you know. had a good cameraman. Yeah, I mean, we did. Mark we Emery. Great, we had a great great team. Emery oh my gosh, was he's like. Yeah, an he animal. would show me after the shoot. He's like, "Well, look at this stuff I did with alligators, and yeah. look at this stuff I've done with all these other things." Well, okay, yeah. that's he's that's, won two Emmys since personal for yeah. his for his uh, wildlife photography. Him. He's amazing. You know, I saw him at Honks K one year. Uh, he was down there doing some filming, and uh, I was sitting out on the back porch of the Honks K thing, and here comes Mark right up. He's like Tom Rowland. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Emery, what are you doing here? <laughs> but he's a good dude, man. Oh, isn't he? Isn't he? Have you seen any of his deer stuff? Yeah. Oh, there was my one, gosh. Wasn't there one amazing. where the antler dropped while he was filming it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This time of year is when that's happening. Yeah. Right? And, and he's filming it, it and it just, it just falls off. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That I think the deer, the they, chances they, they of that happening. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, Shaw, like in order to get 23 years of one more cast, I don't. I've never known the story of of how you got started. You know, it it it, it wasn't really anything special. I I kept doing little things with other people. You know, like I'd be on on uh, back in those days, there was uh, you know I I didn't film with Roland uh, or Hank or Jimmy. It was Orlando Wilson. I filmed two shows with Orlando. And then I was asked to do some for a guy uh, that had a show, trying to remember the name of it, uh, Sportsman's Challenge. I did that. And so you're doing bit parts and, and, and helping out and, and such. And I just thought, you know, it'd be something I might be interested in doing. And, and then we were doing Bass and Golf and Bass and Race with Woody, which were uh, event television. So you'd get, you know, the professional golfers and professional fishermen, put them together and compete. And you do the NASCAR guys and professional fishermen, put them together and compete. And it was, it was some fun times. And one day Woody comes and says, Hey, you want to do a show? you know, regular series. And I went, yeah, why not? <laughs> so that's, that's how it happened. It was just kind of a fell into it. Yeah. But the springboard for that, what was your, what was your professional fishing career? Like before oh, the yeah, I was fishing TV the BASS circuit and doing pretty good at the time. And, and, um, you know, I've won a number of events and, and, you know, making the classic really regular at the time. But I started in 84 professionally. I, made my first classic in 86 and then again in like 88 but then in the 90s i was like clicking them off and we started the show in 96 is when we filmed the the um kind of the teaser to get it going and then the first episode and we pitched it and it and it all ran together well and then in 97 it aired so we filmed everything in 96 for the 97 season and it was it was awesome I'm Did just, you always have the idea that it would be more than bass fishing? Yes. You know, growing up in Florida, my goodness, we got, you know, <laughs> we got saltwater all around right. us. And so uh, I always loved redfish and trout and doing all that. And um, so I wanted it. In fact, when we started the show, if you remember, we had a segmented show. So it was half 
salt water oh, and yeah, half yeah. fresh water every show, but you were working yourself to death. So we only did that like one season. We're like, we're not doing that again because you have to film, you know, 13 fresh water and, and filming a segment's just like filming a show. Right. It doesn't take you any less, you know, just because you're going, you know, what do we do about 22 minutes on a show? Yeah. And um, so you would still do the, about the same time to get your little 10, 11 minutes out of that deal as you did you know, film at a full length. So we just said, no, we'll just go do full shows and mix them up. Yeah. I always liked that format. Like I always, I particularly liked the, um, the, uh, in fisherman format. Like, yes. Remember like how they used to do, type. yeah, they used to do three different set segments and they would have like Larry Dahlberg would do one and the lenders would do one and, uh, well, somebody else would do another and it would be like, it would all have a theme like there would be spring bass fishing and then there would be kind of the last, you know, right when the ice is out for pike. And then there would be like some other kind of spring thing. Right. And then the next one would have like trout fishing and pike fishing and lake trout fishing. And I always kind of liked that, but it just seemed like that was a lot of work. Like what I know now, like they're filming three shows. Exactly. To get that one. And, and they, I can see why you would gravitate over to just yeah. one. And, and not only that, it's that when you're out there filming, you really like, uh, I like to teach. So you like to teach and it's hard to get everything you want to teach in 10 minutes. It just, it just doesn't happen. And so, you know, there's all these little things you want to cover. And, um, so that was a big thing for me is that, I, you know, once you realize how short those things are, that, that you really wanted the full length. Mm -hmm. so. It's hard. I mean, even in the 22 minutes and 30 seconds is pretty much the, the, the time that we're always striving for right there. 22 minutes, 30 seconds. And when you have all of these different pieces, like the, the bumps to the break and the, right. the billboards and all these other things, the fishing segment is all in a 22 minute show. The fishing is maybe about... 12, 13 minutes, maybe. And, and you got to get all of this kind of stuff in there. People, people sometimes ask like, you know, you guys don't catch enough fish. It's like, man, if you knew what went on to it, you, you'd be surprised <laughs> that we caught anything <laughs> like, so, like tying two boats yeah, together. <laughs> so, so we were doing a, and this is it early on, we were doing a tarpon show and I was down at uh, Indian river somewhere down South. And um, the tarpon, you know how they are. First thing in the morning, they come up, bloop, 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 and you can catch them. And then they disappear. <laughs> well, I, I had these little tarpon coming up, and my buddy's with me, Mark Sabides, and we're fishing. And it's like, throw out there, and he catches one. And, you know, little one, you know, what's that, 25 pounds or something. And we get the pictures. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, good. He let it go. And I said, okay, let's go get another one. And Mark's like, no, 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 no. He <laughs> said, so we got to get this shot. We got to have the sunlight, right? We got this, 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 this. And, 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 and I'm like, do what? I, I want to catch it. I realized real quick it had nothing to do with fishing. Right. He's like, this is art. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is art. So we had to do all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, well. Well, there has to be a, there has to be a balance. And there this does. is what we have to always talk to the camera guys because the camera guys are thinking, look, this is how you make a show. And you have to listen to that because if you do it with a fisherman's mind, right. you're going to make a terrible show. It's just going to be catch one, toss it back, catch another they one. They have to also understand that, look, it's not like we're going to be able to do this all day. Like this is 15 minute window right. of the day. Right. And we can make up these other shots in a half yeah. an hour. But right. if we don't catch that fish right now. Not going to do it. You'll never, you're not going to see one until tomorrow morning. Yeah. And it's it's a real delicate balance of trying to to be be 
courteous and respectful of what they're trying to say, but also to have them kind of understand from a what fisherman's perspective do. is like, yeah. listen, man, we got to catch that fish. And, and some funny stories, you know, where after, after years, I'm sure you got plenty of these stories too, but the camera guys are like, wait, what are you doing? We're, we're going to go catch that fish right there. No, 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 no. You can't catch that. It's going, you're shooting right into the light, man. We can't do that. And it's like, well, he's not going to do that all day. And they're like, well, I, I mean, we got to catch him the other way. That's like, right. The you other get the way. Light what do you this? mean? You yeah. mean I need to pole around this whole fish? And, and it's like, okay, I guess that's what we're going to do. And so we do it. And sure enough, it actually worked. And and so I, over the years, I've kind of learned like, okay, well, so many of the things that I thought were just written in stone, like a bonefish tail's right there. You got to catch that fish or he's gone. Maybe not. Right. Like That's maybe right. you can wait. Maybe you can pull yeah. around that fish. Maybe you can follow him down the flat. Maybe you can figure out a way to do it to where you're to now right. catching him down light. Yeah. And, and in the beginning, like, I don't know, there's so many parts of education or, or whatever that in the beginning of something, you just see something as, is borderline impossible. Then you learn a little bit more about it and you're like, oh, well, it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be. And then yeah. you learn a little bit more about it. You're like, oh, well, I could do we it. We could do that. I could do it a hundred different ways, yeah. but it takes a long time. <laughs> I mean, the first time that we were told to pole around the school of redfish and come at them the other way and put the fish between the camera boat and, and us, I just thought this is, <laughs> this this is a waste nuts. of time. Yeah. This is a we're, total we're, waste of time. We've lost the whole thing. Might as well just but, back it in. But it worked. And then it turns out that's the best shot maybe we've ever yeah, gotten. Yeah, exactly. Like, like it's crazy, but there's so many situations like that. Yeah. How did you get started being a professional bass fisherman? That was kind of a neat deal. I, you know, I was a fisherman, and my dad would always fish. We'd go red fishing and trout fishing in the mountains. Love trout fishing, uh, if, you know, for rainbows and little brooks and things like that. And then uh, we do that every summer. And uh, but anyway, I was a Boy Scout, and in eighth grade at at my high school eighth grade this kid that i knew from boy scouts he was the new kid at that year in, in our school and uh so i'm the only guy he knew and i knew him from boy scouts he was like an eagle scout and my patrol leader and all kinds of stuff so we were buddies already i uh so we just got to be real close friends and he loved fishing mm. and he loved bass fishing not just fishing he loved bass fishing so now i'd go bass fishing with him you know i love fishing so we'd go well next thing you know he calls me up one day and he says hey man you want to uh want to go fish a tournament well uh, you know i hadn't hadn't fished tournaments but i was sitting here i was racing motorcycles every weekend i'd try to have some race somewhere well i didn't have one that weekend so we drove down to Kissimmee chain and back in those days, they would line all the boats up in line, shoot a flare, and everybody takes off. <laughs> Dude. So shotgun we, start. Yeah, shotgun start. So everybody lines up. We get out there and we're like, well, dang gum, I don't want to go way over there. So we just said, well, we've got we're not our boat's not that fast, so we're gonna sit behind the main line and we'll let them go and we'll take off. So anyway, this guy comes running by up front. And shoots a flare, and all those boats in front of us take off. Now, the two in front of us, you know, these guys had patches and jumpsuits <laughs> and smoke and, and, you know, all identically dressed up. They were obviously really good anglers right there. 
Well, they shower down on it, and you know outboards, they blow big holes in the water because it's going to push the boat to get it on plane. <laughs> well, we're behind them, and we hit it, and we go up just like your boat does. You know, it's going to come up, and then it's going to lay flat. Well, there's no water because that's what those two boats. So we went up and just fell like it felt like forever, like three feet. My tackle box floated up in the air. When it hit the deck, it blew open. I got rods <laughs> laying everywhere, baits everywhere, and I'm just kind of scraping them together and trying to hold things together, and I'm going – you know, driving what, you know, my buddy, Jerry, who did this, Jerry Beavis, I'm like, I'm like, go straight to the point, straight to the point. So he's like, he's right open. He cut to the point because everybody else was kind of doing this. We cut off about 20 boats at that point. Then he cuts to the canal to go into in, from uh, Hashnahal into Cyprus. And I said, go right to the bank, right to the bank. So he's over there and I'm still holding pods <laughs> and keeping baits. And he cuts next to that. And we cut off about another 20 and we're running down the bank, maybe six, eight inches off the bank, just whoo, down. And it was awesome. I get to the to the locks going into into uh, Toho, and I'm shaking. I'm like, this is the best ever, and I'm putting tackle up, and I tie a Texas rig, simple Texas rig, bullet weight hook worm i tie it on three times and forget the weight that's how jacked <laughs> up i was <laughs> like this is a sport for me i get to fish and race this is it so that was it that was the end of it i started fishing <laughs> wow and motorcycle racing just kind of hit a back seat or did you, did you stay i wasn't with any it? good anyway yeah. i just liked it <laughs> yeah. you know well so. and then for in the early part of uh of bass fishing like back in those days was there a horsepower restriction yeah we had 150 so 150 horsepower but actually back then uh when that happened when we were doing the deal the biggest motor was like a 125 or 135 so that was like the biggest motor made so i think mercury had a 135 and omc had a 125 and so yeah that's a long time ago but since then bass went to a a 150 horsepower rating when I started professionally and it's been that way for years. And then they went, finally broke it open to 250. So now the boats are really scooting. How much difference does that make in bass boats? Doesn't. I mean, I, I love the days with 150. I mean, that was just a perfect time and you could still run, you know, mid sixties mm -hmm. and uh, have a great time. Low sixties. It was fine. You get in where you want to go and, and, uh, but it's, it's nice to have a bigger boat for when you yeah, get so, those wave conditions. So is that what changed the, the 250 opened up the opportunity to have a, a bigger yes. boat? Yes. So by going from, you know, 150 when you could have like an 18 footer, uh, now you can have like a 21 footer and it makes it a little bit more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I wonder why the bay boat style, like there were a couple of years there where, where there were like a center console style bass boat was people tried it. Why do you think that the bass boat design has stayed the way it is? I don't know. It's real efficient. I mean, real efficient and real comfortable um, in the sense that it's really set up for fishing. You know, you, you got the got a trolling motor on the front. You're maneuvering yourself. It's almost like you're floating the whole time. You know, you, so, you know, I need to go there. You, you don't even think about it because uh, foot pedal retains the, you know, your, your body retains the, the knowledge of if you have your foot here, it's going this way mm -hmm. or this way. You don't even look. So, you know, with the foot pedal operation, you're like, I got to go there. You're just, you touch your toe a little bit and you go to it. And it's just like so natural and so easy. And, and, and to be able to ease in quietly and work cover and ease out. And, and so I, I just think that whole style uh, really suits itself to, to, you know, pursuing going after the bath. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a it's an interesting boat. Like coming from the from the saltwater boat and getting in. Like when we were filming the Sweetwater show, I hadn't spent time in a bass boat in a long time, and I'm getting in there and I'm kind of like, these are different boats, but they're very, very. Um, I guess they're perfectly designed for the purpose. Exactly. Whereas like the bay boat is also perfectly designed for my purpose. Yes. And I kind of get in the bass boat. And I'm like, I wonder why they don't do it like this. <laughs> I wonder why they don't do it like that. But it's, it, you know, there's, they're, they're designed specifically for the bass fishing. Yeah. You, you get on those lakes and, and, um, you know, in a bay boat, you're, you're really not. And sometimes you are, you know, really trying to hold particular spots or whatever. But a lot of times you're working large expanses of water. So it's not as pinpoint, you know, with us, we, we got to make that cast right there. You know, you need to hit right next to this log. If you have too much in the boat, like a console that sticks up or whatever, it's catching the wind, mm. making things a lot more, you know, a lot harder to, mm. to hold the boat and keep it in position. So yeah, the boats are just, they're, they're about perfect, you know, mm. lean and sleek and, and get you there and get you back. What do you think the biggest innovation has been in bass fishing since since you started? Whew. We've had so many. Electronics are just gone right. nuts. Nuts. I mean, you know, going now to where you have, uh, you know, you can scan out, you know, 300 feet, 150 feet on each side, 200 feet on each side. You know, I mean, you can see everything under the water. It almost paints a picture of what's down there. Down scan, I now have a forward-facing sonar. What's interesting about that, that kid, Jerry, that got me into bass fishing, we would catch black drum on the Suwannee River. Mm -hmm. They'd come in these big schools of black drum. And the old-timers, if you were quiet, you could hear them because they'd be boom, 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 just making this noise. But you'd also see the water boiling, the turbulence you'd throw in there and you catch one. Well, we'd catch one, and then we'd lose the school because mm. it takes you 20 minutes to land him. You know, these are 30 to 60-pounders. Right. Right. And um, I got pictures of me and a little kid, you know, holding this big old drum up. And so, um, so Jerry's sitting there. All we have is flashers back in the day okay <laughs> and jerry says well you know why don't we turn that transducer and look for them because if we turn it we're going to find them and we'll just have to figure out if they're because it's a flasher you know a right. 60 foot flasher you know is he is he you know at, at 20 feet or is he at 80 feet or is he at you know where where are they once you see them on the graph or on the flasher and so we built this he was a woodworker so he built this wood puck deal it mounted on the trolling motor hand control back then it was like silver troll was like the only trolling motor made way back in there and we so it's hand control and he put it on there and it didn't work because he shot it straight out it hit the surface and we realized dude that didn't work so he had to angle it so he built another one where we could angle it down slightly and it worked like a champ then we'd stay on them for like three hours till you couldn't handle it anymore i mean you'd hook <laughs> them up and you're like okay we'd have two at a time both of us had two rods we're like holding this we back then you had a pedestal that had a hole and the seat would sit on top of it we'd stick a rod in there finish landing <laughs> this one pull this one up and finish landing that it was great man we had so much fun catching those dudes and it was all there and now that's the hottest thing in in fishing the, is this the forward, forward scan now you can look out there and go there's a fish you can see then you can throw your bait out there and watch the bait go down there it is and you can watch him swim over you go here we go yep it's awesome yeah. so how cool are the electronics you know power poles electronics those are probably the main things i'm sure i'm missing stuff but engines four strokes you know oh my gosh it's just crazy how good things have gotten plus the the baits Baits, lures, like Nuts. lures and baits and hooks. Everything's gotten better. It's almost like when you think back, like even in my saltwater 
you know, experience. Like we used to permit fish with, with J hooks and, and they were these crappy hooks and we'd have to sharpen them and, all the time and, and make sure that they stayed sharp. You'd put it through the crab and now, now you got to sharpen it again. And now they come out, they're perfectly chemically sharpened. And like I put one right through my thumb not too long ago. Uh, they're real sharp. I've done that. They are sharp, real sharp. You've, you've hooked yourself in a uh, tournament many times. And, and many I want to know like, how did it happen? Because, you, I mean, you handled thousands yeah. of fish. Right? So how does it happen with a bass fisherman? With, with a bass, it's pretty simple. They, they have them in their mouth, and you, and you just can't get your hand in. Like I was filming an MLF, uh, Major League Fishing, and I caught one on a crankbait, and I his mouth was kind of pinned closed, and I had to get my hand in there. To, I had to land him. I got it, and I knew it was going to stick me, and it did. So now it's jammed into my thumb, and I got him. And so, so now in major league, you don't have anybody to help you. Your boat officials not supposed to help you. Camera guy can't help you. And I'm like, now what do I do? And I go, okay. So I'm holding him kind of pinning him and I take it and I wedge that hook, the, uh, split ring of the hook into the crack of his mouth to where it's kind of holding the hook. And then I just back my thumb back out oh. of it. And it was like, you're like, mm, <laughs> that's going to leave a mark, you yeah. know, and I, but I got it out and everything worked out, but it, it happens like anything else. They just flip and, and, and twist and, and they get you. And, and I generally get one they're pretty regular. I mean, it's pretty regular. It's not, yeah. I don't even think about them anymore. We just get them go, okay, here we go. And we, you know, that string technique, I don't use the string, but that technique is what holds as soon as you hold that eye down mm -hmm. and then you can pop it. It just comes right out. The best one though, saltwater grouper fishing, shallow water grouper. It was a tarpon day. We're fly fishing for tarpon, cloudy overcast. You can't see, you know, because once it gets that white cloudy, you just can't see. Everybody goes, let's just go offshore and catch some grouper. All right. So we take off. We didn't have but a rod each. So we run offshore. And I was with a guy named Al DePeric, one of the yeah. top guides, you know, tarpon guides ever. Uh, he's probably had as many world records as anybody. And uh, I'm with Al and Steve Kilpatrick, who has the, you know, who guided to the world record uh, uh, tarpon. He uh, he's in another boat with a guide, you know, with the charter. We run offshore and we start cranking for him. Well, you know, Al gets one, I get one, we're reeling him in. Well, when Al brings his in, you know, he kind of brings it in. I get mine in, I pin him behind the head. He's not a real big grouper. And I pin him, I got this big jerk bait laying outside. And I said, this isn't good. I said, he's going to get me. And I didn't have gloves because usually we have gloves. We're prepared for this where we were tarpon fishers. We mm -hmm. Anyway, he flipped, buried the hook. And I think it's like right here. And it went in and came out and had me pinned with him still oh, on it. That's the worst. And that's those big trebles, you yes. know? And so I'm pushing him against the side and I'm like, Al, he's got me. You got to kind of help me. So Al brought his in and just flopped him on the deck and left him, came over, got the fish off. So now I got this plug in, in me here. Al goes back to his and when he goes for it, the fish flops oh, no. and buries the hook in his hand. Oh, and Al turns as white as white. And he's like, oh. And so we're holding Al's down. My hand's all met. I mean, I got hooks all at me, and I'm holding his to where because it's fish is still hooked. And we're like, 
dude, you realize we're going to float across the Gulf of Mexico and they're going to see two skeletons <laughs> with grouper bones and hooks because there's nothing we can do. I mean, we're, we're all hooked up. We're like, what are we going to do? And so and so we were yelling because Steve's at another rock down there. We're yelling. And he finally, he's like, what's going on over there? And he limps over there and he just starts laughing. Like, <laughs> we're all hooked up. So thank goodness we had somebody out there that could help us. But then we did this technique and they all popped out. It was okay. But man, it was, it was like craziness. Yeah, for me, it always seems like I, I've only had it happen one time and it was recently and uh, I was bone fishing. I'm using a circle hook and a shrimp and we're, there's a lot of fish. We're getting a lot of shots and I throw to a bone fish and a little jack about the size of your hand comes over and eats it. Well, the bonefish is still doing his bonefish thing. Yeah. So I rip this thing in as fast as I can and it's green as it can be. Yeah. And it, the, the, the fish went up the line. So the really? fish is like, well, the hook went through the little, I mean, the right. fish is only this big yeah. and the hook goes through the mouth. And so the fish is kind of on the line a little bit. Well, I reach over there to grab the hook and I knew as soon as I did it, I knew it was a bad mistake because I was looking at the bonefish. I'm looking and I'm trying as fast as I can to get, get this off, off because get I'm thinking, off. get him off, get a shrimp, cast and catch the bonefish right and so as soon as i reached for the the fish he was just barely had just enough of that hook to where he was staying right here and then he slipped down the line and immediately it pulled the hook Hook like this and it pulled the hook right into my hand and now i was like really no i mean i first thing is i was thinking well, I'm not going to catch that bonefish. <laughs> <laughs> Doggone, that's the thing. <laughs> and we got cameras. Yeah. We got everything. I'm like, I, I must have said something bad because Rich goes, what happened? And I said, I'm going to need a little help. And he's like, okay. And and so I'm holding the, the thing and the fish is flopping and I'm trying to get the fish, but I'm also trying to hold a rod and, and we got the remote control for the trolling motor now. So oh, yeah. I've got all this stuff in my hands. And I'm like, I need you to come up here and cut this fish off. And he's like, uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> so he comes up there and cuts the line. So now the fish is off. And, and I'm like, okay, now I can relax because it's not right. But we didn't have, like my pliers were were thick. I had these Van Stahl pliers. And they, so they were good so wide. Yeah, yeah, great pliers. But they were too wide to get in there and bend the bend the barb down. Mm-hmm. Like because of the, the circle hook. Right. And so now we have to go through and we find the oldest worst looking needle nose <laughs> pliers that have a rust stain all over them. And, and we finally get it in there and just pinch that barb down. And I tried and tried and tried. And finally I was just like, it's coming out this time. I mean, one way or another, just like you said, you pulled yours out, it's coming out and, and just back that thing out. But uh, I don't like that when that happens, but you know, it's going to happen. And, and, a lot of people think that it's going to happen like somebody's going to cast it into you or, or that something. It's usually going to be like you're washing the boat and one of them's in the vertical rod holder right. and you're like, you know, you just you just do the brush right yeah, into the, a treble jammed, hook or yeah. something. I saw somebody else did that. I think it was somebody somebody good. And it was shortly after I had done my thing and, and I, I saw on their Instagram, it was like, Yep, happened to me too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it happens to all of us. Mainly with us, it's crankbaits or jerkbaits or something, lipless baits. But it's crankbaits, trebles, and you grab a bass and he's flopping and just somehow, you know, he gets you. I mean, uh, some of those baits are like this and they got three treble hooks on them. That's a lot of hooks. Yeah, so I I get it pretty regular. And 
uh, you know, it used to bother me like, ah, okay, but now it's more like, ah, here we go. Yeah. So yeah. get another one out and keep going. So you've had some big changes over the last uh, few years with, with, uh, with the MLF, right? Incredible. So tell me about that. Like you were we, one, or were yeah. you one of the early yep. pioneers we're one of, of the, it? One of the founders. There's uh, You were one of the founders. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so how does that happen? Like we, so we knew there was a better way to do fishing you know, bass fishing and, uh, Boyd Duckett had some ideas, Gary Klein, and they were always talking and I was Gary's roommate and we're all talking about, you know, we need to do stuff. So, well, Boyd had taken some concepts to bass and, and run it by him and said, Hey, you know, what do you think of this? Well, they kind of shot him down and said, no, we're not interested. And, and Boyd knew that, that there's a sports market out there, meaning people that watch football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, all that stuff. Uh, and you have that group of people and it's this big, yeah. right? it's huge. And then you have a group of people that like bass fishing and it's this big, right? So it's, it's this group. So you got bass fishing, you got sports people. We wanted to get this group involved in bass fishing. And so, you know, we had ideas. And so Boyd just put together a group. And it was, you know, there was 12 of us, I think, initially started it, 12 or 13 uh, that initially started it. And we just invited guys to come in and try this, put it together with a network. So we had network backing. We had great people behind it. And they loved it. And it just lit off i mean it's a it's the neatest thing in the world because every fish counts it's not like you catch five and then you gotta cull through and do whatever it's every fish counts which means there's no let up there's the the intensity level the the competition level is just amazing i've never fished harder in my life <laughs> and um and it's never been more exciting because every bite counts um so you don't have a limit you're in the 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 environmental aspects of it you catch that fish you let him go right now so we're not putting them in a live well carrying them around time after time uh so letting them go they're staying alive and that's a great thing to do now do you do you measure them is there is there anything so, that has anything to do there with is size? A size limit okay. yes so uh at first we had a 12 inch limit which is kind of a standard in a bass tournament 12 inch limit and then we had a number of fish that would come in that are 12 inches but they're only like 13 ounces they'd right. be skinny so we said well let's just make it a one pound limit so we went to a one pound limit this season we are doing a variable limit so if the lake's a really good lake we might have a three pound limit or a two pound limit or or whatever so they're gonna they're gonna adjust that this year uh, I don't know how the jury's out on that. I can just tell you that with a one pound limit doing what we do, we love to fish and we love to catch fish and our ratings have gone just stupid. I mean, it's just climbed exponentially and we're off the charts now. So we're like the number one show on like every, every market that we air and, and, uh, usually way above anything that's number two. So, so, you know, you're doing the right thing when you know the people like it i go to the sports shows i was just at east tennessee fishing show and every person walked up man that is the greatest thing i just love it love watching you guys do this that's the feedback we get and so it's really neat it's awesome to be a part of it we went from major league to doing a tour so we went to the bass pro tour and then we took the 80 best anglers in the world and they all signed up and we started a tour 
and it's uh it's been an adventure last year was the first year we're coming to the second year now it's it's been awesome it's well received i mean like i said we we blew away the ratings we were on discovery channel and uh with that and we really are just getting started so we're making changes and adjustments because we know that this is just what we were able to do first season just like you next season we're going to incorporate this next season we'll make this change and this change and as you keep going you get a better product and so that's that's we're just in it's in, in our infancy so how much of what you're doing is <clears throat> that group of professional anglers saying i think this is what's needed and how much of it is the uh input from fans and people that watch or sponsors or whoever how how is this thing evolving like so the anglers actually make the decisions, which is really cool. That's the first time we've been able to be angler-driven, anglers, you know, doing their deal. Uh, the first decision they made was no entry fees. How was that? So we took sponsor money, and we're fishing for sponsor money. It's the first time that's happened in fishing ever is, hmm. to, is to have that go on. So um, – and then they're making other decisions, you know, when we need decisions on, you know, how do, how, how do we need to do this or what decision we need to make on this on format or whatever. And we, and they're the ones that drive it all. So in fact, they're the ones that, that went to this variable size limit. So, um, so anyway, we always trying to tweak things and, and make it a little better. Uh, but so far it's just been, you know, it's just been a neat, neat deal. Yeah. Everything I read about it, it, it's, the the thing that keep, the authors keep going back to is that the anglers now can control their own destiny. Right. So they're they're able to do that because they're owners and decision makers. Or there 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 is a group of owners. There's about I think there's seventeen stockholders owners. There is, and those not all those are anglers. I think there's like. 12 or 13 anglers and the rest of them are, are the business people. Then you have, um, then you have the rest of the anglers. They're all decision making. If you're fishing the tour, you have a vote. You're, you're, so it's just like being board of directors or whatever. And, and an owner's vote is no different from a fisherman's vote. Hmm. So it's the same, same boat, boat. So that's where they get to do that. And what's really important, you know, I've heard, uh, people there's there's you know i mean bass has done a great job and and they we have to the whole industry was designed because of bass and came apart came about because of bass and so you know we have a lot of lot of uh good feelings about them and and thank them for what they did this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and tecovis is your stop for the best in western style tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer including men's and women's boots apparel hats bags and more all tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend and tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. 
Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Taking it to the next level, they would never go past what they what they were doing. So, um, and that's, I mean, that's just their, that's their business model, and that's what they do. We just wanted to make it as big a sport as we can have, and then everybody, you know, how the old saying is, a high tide floats all boats. Mm-hmm. The bigger we make this, the bigger it's going to make it for everybody. And so we knew we could tap into those sports people, and then some of those sports people are going to look at this and go, "Man, this is really cool." I'm going to try it. So they're going to buy a rod and reel. They're going to buy a boat. I, I had one, you know, at the East Tennessee fishing show. Say, my, my buddy watched this. He got so hooked on the live broadcast. He went out and bought him a boat and a deal and all that. He's all, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Right. So, so it's not just a thought. It's a reality. This is what's happening is that we're increasing the size of the fishing, you know, the bass fishing market. And, um, and in doing that, I think that's helping everybody. I've seen a lot of negatives from people that are like clinging on to the, you know, the old school bass. And, and I'm okay with that because, you know, anytime you start something new, you're going to have some blowback all the time. So um, I understand that they talk about, you know, small fish and I uh, just catch small fish and anybody can do that. Well, come try it and see <laughs> if you can do that. Cause it didn't, it, I, I've been there and, and it's not that easy. And, uh, so I hear a lot of that and that's kind of where that variable size limit and all that. And also choosing bodies of water that have bigger fish. Cause we fish no different when we get on the water. There is not like, I'm, I'm going to pick up a shaky head and go catch little ones. You don't do that. You're fishing for the best, biggest fish you can. And as many as you can catch. And the real key is to stay on them. So catch them in the morning. And then when the clouds go away, you know, for the sunrise comes up and, and things change, you have to still be on them and you have to still catch them and you go through the whole day. And it's extremely hard. I watch it over and over on these shows and you'll see it on the Bass Pro Tour where a guy catch him in the morning and then he's struggling. He may be in top spot and all of a sudden he's clicking down, clicking down. And he's just struggling to stay in the cut line. And, um, and so it's the hardest, like I said, the hardest fishing I've ever done. So um, we're making adjustments for that, but uh, I think we're on the right path. I don't think you ever want to change the basics of what we're doing as long as the viewership keeps just climbing sure. ridiculously. Sure. I mean, it's ridiculous how, how fast it's well, growing. Well, that's what everybody's talking about is like, you know, how the momentum of what you've got going on there. I wonder, like, as as anglers that were the founders of this and like, you know, I know how it is when you're at one of those tournaments and you, you're sitting up there, you know, in the hotel room, you're talking about, you know, probably have lots of conversations about what's going on, what's going well, what could change. What were the first couple of things that, that you and Gary and, you know, some of the founders were like, you know what, it would be so much better if, like what what were those first couple of things? Well, the, the first couple of things is that we wanted it to be um, where you had that rolling scoreboard, so you knew what was going on, just like you knew what's going on when Tiger Wood comes up on the 18th green. He right. knows where he's sitting. When he's back there in 14th green, he knows where he's sitting. That's what you got to know. I mean, you've got to know that because then you can make quality decisions. You can say, hey, I see, I I remember being in 10th place in a BASS on Kissimmee, on Toho, and making the final day cut, 10th spot. And I knew, I said, man, I'm down in 10th. 
I got a long way to go. I better catch a big one. So I go through and I catch a limb of the fish and I see a big one on bed and I, and I hook her and she's a giant. She pulls her head two or three times into the hook pulls and she goes back to the bed. I fish for her, fish for her. I go around looking. I know I need to have a six, seven pounder to win. Well, I come in, I didn't. I needed a three-pounder. I went by five or six of those that I could have caught in a second and won the tournament hands down. But I don't have the knowledge to make that decision. So it's a flip of a coin. So who was the best fisherman that day? Obviously the guy that won it. But would it have been me? Absolutely, if I'd known. But somebody else may have known and made a different decision, too. You don't know. But So now you have that knowledge of you're hearing what's going on. You go, oh, my gosh, they're killing them and i can't catch it get a bite so i've got to change i'm obviously not doing the right thing right so now you can make that change where before you don't know and all of a sudden you're taking potluck and all of a sudden you come and you go oh man i thought i was doing good and i'm i'm just beat to death right so that's really the the thought process is that you could have that and then we always liked the catch and release let them go get them back in there and and that was one of the biggest things that why you know johnny morris likes it so much you know he's so big in um, environmental environmental issues and things like that and and being able to turn that fish loose where you caught him yeah right there you're not doing any damage anywhere you just catch him let him go yeah it's an interesting thing like i mean bass fishing is responsible for the catch and release Movement. I mean, that's where it raiders. came from, right? Like catch and release of all kinds started with bass fishing, like in that term. And I think Johnny Morris was a big part of catch and release. Oh, that's catchy. Okay, let's use that catch and release. Okay. But I always thought that, and we see the same thing with the bonefish. Like you have these bonefish tournaments in these places, like in downtown Alamorada, and you would have the best guides with the best anglers going out all over the place and then bringing the most dominant, most aggressive fish back to the same place for 20 years in a row. And it, I believe that that was like an artificial stocking program and the downtown bonefish, downtown Alamorada bonefish was basically an, an angler induced artificial stocking program of the biggest, most aggressive fish being brought back to the same place for a long period of time. And some of those are going to stick around. Absolutely. And they did. And that was the best bone fishing in the world. So that's an example of how it could really be great, I guess. But where, you know, they're, those big fish are not where they once were. So I right. don't know how that affects the, the thing. It doesn't really matter yeah. because the cold front of 2010 you know, really hurt them a a lot. But when you're doing this in these lakes and you're, you're having the best anglers in the world going out, catching five fish each, and there's a hundred anglers. And that's that's 500 of the biggest, most aggressive bass in the lake, all being released at the same place. I don't know. Does that have an effect on them? Who knows? We did some, uh, we did some radio telemetry and have done that in a few situations. It's pretty cool to see that in tagging, tagging studies that, um, some of the fish, and it's just real cool to see how fish are so individualistic, but some of them, they get let go and they go, just like you said, I'm right. They go, dude, this is pretty good. Yeah. I got food. I got nice. This yeah, looks I'm right. happy. I'll just stay right here. <laughs> Others, they'll make a 20, 30, 40 mile hike right back to where they were. Really? And they find their way all the way back. This is my home. This is where I want to be. It's the craziest that thing in the world. It is the craziest thing Isn't to that think awesome? that with all the jarring around and in the live well and running back it. and forth and that they would have the, the sense of direction to know it, where that was. Like neat. a salmon, I guess. We, well, a salmon could do that. We know so little. You know, we think we know, but we know so little if you really 
you know, open up, peel back the, the onion, so to speak, open it up and look what's in there. It's really cool. Yeah. What about the, the rule about the bass can't touch the boat? That's that's another just conservation thing. You don't want to body slam them, you know, throwing them in and poof, drop them in. The slime coat's left on there and then they can develop, you know, uh, sores and, and they get, you know, infections and stuff like that. So we're just trying to keep it, you know, doing everything you can to, to respect your fish that you catch and, and uh, not beat them up and then not you don't cause what happens if they do touch the boat you get a two minute penalty two minute two minute so it's all based on time so you you could just have to you just have to sit there or you have to stop early you you have to sit the sit there so one of my favorite ones mike iconelli i love him but we also have a release (laughs) a release deal so you have to release it below the gunnel so mike hooks up on a crankbait and he reels it in reels it in it's a little guy so he knows it's little itty bitty you know so he brings it up and he picks it up like that well it drops off and boom, hits the deck, two-minute landing violation. And he's like, oh, doggone, he picks up, he pitches it, two more two minutes. More minutes. <laughs> and so they, they type it in, and he's just got to sit there, and he's just fuming, and I'm like, that's funny as heck. That's a guy I, mean, that I don't, don't care who you are. Anyway. That's <laughs> <laughs> he can't sit still anyway. I had him on my podcast, and he's, and he's moving all the time. He's I love awesome. Him. I love oh that guy. That guy is so, first off, he's smart as can be, but he's, he's extremely good angler. He's an extremely good marketing person. I've seen him in business meetings with CEOs and all, and he is outstanding. Then I remember going to a Bass University. He and I flew in together. We show up, I think it was in Springfield. We go to the motel. We check in. There's like a nine-year-old kid there, and he wanted our autograph. So I signed his autograph. Mike signs his autograph, and, and uh, Mike talked to him a second while going up the room i do whatever i get all unpacked and do some things and watch the tv i would go down because i wanted to get something i left something and i went down to the counter to get it mike's still down there it's like an hour and a half later still down there talking to that kid that's mike iconelli yeah. that's the side you don't don't normally see yeah his dedication to his fans and and kids is outstanding i saw that in him and i i had a wonderful um experience with him because i i only know him from tv i don't i don't know that he has any idea who I was or anything. And, uh, um, his manager guy that's with him. Um, I had been in touch with him and asked him to be on the podcast, but I never could get in touch with Mike or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's been doing that thing the last couple of years where he's wearing those disguises around iCast. And it's really <laughs> kind of funny, right? Like what he's doing, like he wear a wig one day and, and he's like, trying to i don't know exactly what all it's about but it's pretty funny what he's doing and so he's got this mustache on and it's like this 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 twirly mustache and it's real big and 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 he's got this thing on and he went to breakfast and and his manager walked by and saw me sitting there and he goes in there and he goes hey uh tom Rollins right out there so mike gets up comes right out there he's like hey and shakes my hand and he's like mike iconelli he goes uh uh I, I know that you had been in contact and you wanted to uh, have me on the podcast. And I want to say right now, I'd be honored to do it. And I'm looking at him and he's got this silly <laughs> mustache on. <laughs> and, and he's like, I'm like, oh, you know about my podcast? And he goes, of course I know about your podcast. And it hits him. And he's like, I've got this stupid mustache on. <laughs> and he 
was so funny because he was just trying so hard, and then he just realized <laughs> he's like, oh. "I've got this stupid mustache on the whole time I'm talking." He rips the thing off, and and anyway, he came up, and we had just a great, great oh, conversation. Yeah. And he's uh, he, he he's a really it. good dude. So did it, um, like. Did it surprise you at all the influx of of the quality of anglers that came to MLF so quickly? No, I, 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 they had been, and I won't say it's you know they had they had reached their limit at at bass, and they really wanted to make a difference. I was so impressed at some of these young anglers that would go. This is what we need for the future. You know, I, I'm starting in the sport. You know, I'm in it two years, three years down the road. And I'm looking 20. That's awesome because most of the anglers look right here. What's in it for me right now? And if it didn't, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I could not believe that we got 80 guys to go, we're in it. We know. We see it. We feel what you're doing. We know what you're doing. We know it's the right thing for the sport. And that's the biggest thing that I see is that there's enough people that don't see that, that it's a little disturbing because for the sport – to really grow and do it. You need those anglers to do this and you need this sport to be controlled by the anglers, not by somebody that's a for-profit money. This is what makes the decision. You know, we want to make the decisions on the sport. What's the best for the sport? Might not be the best for me. In fact, for me personally, this is probably not the best choice. I'm a better five fish guy than I am a 10 or 20 fish guy but it's still the best fishing I've ever done. I've never worked harder in my life and fished more intense and, and it's just keys you up. It's like what you live for. I mean, you live for that, those moments out there. And so, um, so it might not be the best for me, but it's the best for the sport. That's what I look at. I'm a team guy. I want this sport to go places. I want this sport to be what we know it is. It's the greatest sport in the world. Fishing is. You can fish when you're two years old. You can fish when you're 90 years old. I don't know if you know Glenn Lau. Glenn Lau, one of the world famous, uh, you know, guys that do all the underwater and all that. Homer Circle was a writer for 50 something years did uh he do whole whole magazines you know by himself he was a phenomenal writer and great gentleman when he was you know getting way up in age i don't know if he's 80 something or whatever could hardly walk glenn lyle would pick him up at the house pick him up put him in the boat and they go fishing you go fishing to your dying day and you can fish when you're a kid and you can love it all through life. You can take it to just be a relaxing afternoon on the water. You can take it to just learn about the environment, and the outdoors, or you can take it to the professional level where you're out there competing. And, and it's just the most magnificent sport because you don't have to be six, six, two thirty. you know, you don't have to be, you know, this, this superhuman to, to play your, your playing time is forever. It's lifetime. And the knowledge you gain everything from, from the, you know, relying on yourself to make decisions and all the, the benefits that you can get from being outdoors is intense. Amazing. I, I don't think there's another sport like it to process all the variables we do. There's no other sport like that, that you have to figure all this stuff out. And, uh, so f- for me, it's the greatest thing out there, and I want everybody to know it. And I want this thing to be the biggest and best. You know, you see these guys, a lot of the guys, when they're done playing professional football, they're coming to be a, you know, a, a professional sure. bass fisher. When they're finished doing their professional sport, whatever it is, they're saying, I'm coming to fish. Mm-hmm. They love it. Well, you see a lot of that, like a lot of the um, 
the clients that I would have on my boat every single day, I could tell, I was like, you know, that guy's got an athletic build. Like you start talking to them and I would ask them like, well, you know, what's your background? What's your, what's your athletic background or whatever? Just cause I'm interested in that. And there were a remarkable number of people that were uh, wrestlers yeah. were, were really into it. And I always thought that was kind of interesting because wrestling is physical chess. It's, as you get to a high level at, at a low level, it's just brute strength at a high level. It gets to be like a guy that's not as good as someone else can beat that person by using that person's strengths against them. Right. And then there's like this thinking two or three moves ahead and it's physical chess. Fishing is chess. It really is. And tournament fishing can really be chess. And especially like what you're talking about now, as you know, this information that was not available to you before, it becomes even more of a game of chess. Right. Like before, you're kind of thinking it's a game of chess. But if you don't know what the other guy's move is, then how is how can right. you make a move that makes any sense? Right. And that's a that's an interesting thing. Um, well, how did it how did it make sense for the acquisition of FLW? Oh, that's that was a uh, that was a beautiful thing to happen. So for FLW has the best ground game out there. So that from the the BFLs, which are the weekend anglers out there, uh, you know, fishing and and going at it every weekend, having a regular job, and then going fishing, uh, they had the best. FLW has the best. In their Costa series was unbelievable, which is the next step up would be like on the BASS, the Opens, and then they had the FLW Tour, which is the professional level. So to take uh, Major League Fish and Bass Pro Tour, we had to have a feeder system because we're losing 10 guys after the after the third year. So 2021, at the end of 2021, we got 10 new guys coming in. Those 10 bottom guys drop out, go back to the tour and, and work their way, try to work their way back in. And so to have a feeder system, we needed that. We needed that for uh, for people to be able to say, hey, I can make it into this system now. So I can fish the weekend, I can go up to the Costa, and then I can go to the Tour and make it all the way into, into the major of the major leagues. So you're going to the Bass Pro Tour, and see, the Bass Pro Tour isn't just the Tour. It's got those eight tournaments, but then every two tournaments of those eight, you can qualify for the Cup, which is the MLF. So that's another tournament that you fish, which is still big money. So you're talking, you've got great payouts on the eight then you got four cups great payouts there you got a championship the red crest great payouts there so it's a it's a whole lifestyle of all of a sudden you make a living and you're not forking out this huge amount of money for entry fees so having that avenue for an everyday angler somebody that's fishing to be able to work his way in and go all the way to the top is really what we were looking for. And that, that just made perfect sense. They already had it established. We could have done it too, but why? Yeah. You, you got it going, man. You got the best thing going. So plus you get all their, I mean, you got FLW fans and you yeah. got people that are, that are, they're, they're bought in right and now. They're bought into the, to the MLF too. That's really cool. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, I remember we had a couple of conversations uh, a long time ago about, your feelings on luck. <laughs> what yeah. do you think about luck? You know, and you know, you've heard the thing, you know, luck is where opportunity and preparation come together. So that's kind of a typical definition. Luck is something that happens and it will not be luck if you're not prepared. It'll be not, it's not luck if you, if you are not ready for it and, and it passes you by and you make mistakes and it's gone. So, 
you know, to capitalize on a situation, you know, you have to work hard every day. You have to be prepared. You have to make sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed and every hook is sharp and every knot is perfect and, and every lure is just right and your rods are right, your guides are right, and that you're prepared and, and your mind is with that lure when you make that cast that I'm there and I'm working that and I'm not off thinking of, gum, did I leave the... To leave the coffee pot on this morning, you know, you, <laughs> you, you want to be here, you want to be focused. And so, um, luck still happens, but if you're not prepared for it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen for you. So you got to be prepared for it. And, and, um, and I just think that you can better your chances at, if you're working really hard. And I know somebody's taking full advantage of that, right? Because <laughs> <That's there. right. laughs> well, you work your tail off. Well, you know, um, and they can call it luck, but it's really, really hard work. Yeah, well, it's been that that same kind of thing was once explained to me by a, a great guide, Tim Hoover, and I asked him about. <clears throat> he would beat me in every tournament, every freaking tournament he would win, and I just couldn't understand it. And so, I mean, I'm working real hard and doing all the, the right things, I think. And so finally I got up the courage just to go ask him. And just like any other successful person, when you ask him, he was like, sure, I'll tell you. He's like, I'm, I'm not any better than you are probably. He said, but I make sure that I get a 1% advantage everywhere I can. And I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, I do the research to find out what the best hook is, and I make sure that it's perfectly sharp. That's right. And I have a 1% advantage right there. And I make the I do the research to figure out how to keep the, the bait and the bait well so that it'll never die and it'll always be perfect. And, it'll, and I know where to buy it, and I know how to have it be perfect. My bait's perfect. That's a 1% advantage. Sometimes that's 10% advantage, but it's a 1% advantage. And he said... You know, I make sure that my my engine, you know, before a tournament, I've I've tuned up the engine and and it's I've I've maintained my stuff. I make sure that my my wheel bearings are 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 taken care of. Those are one percent advantages. I make sure that when I wake up in the morning that I've got extra this and extra that and extra this, and that's a one percent advantage. And he goes, even just in what we've talked about here, I've got a ten percent advantage on you right now. That's right. And he said, and I've got a 30% advantage on most of the people here. And I've got a 60% advantage on the other ones. And you wonder why I win? He's awesome. Like, he's like, and that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, it is. It's, there might be luck. Like all of a sudden the sun comes out just as a tarpon swims right in front of you. But if you're sitting down eating a sandwich, it swims right on by. That's right. But if you, or you're, you're, you're tying on a rusty old hook. Yep. It might break. And it's kind of the same if thing. You didn't but check your knot, set the hook on like it, and there you go. Right. Yep. Yeah. And he was just it, it made a it made a big, big impact on me that too. It's like, okay, so I'm not just gonna tie the same knot every time. I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna practice these knots, I'm gonna test them on a scale. I'm going to, you know, exactly. figure out which one's the best with which particular brand of monofilament and then i'm gonna know all of these different things and that's gonna be my one percent advantage and then i'm gonna pick up a one percent advantage over here and then i'm gonna sleep a little more than i would and that's gonna be a one percent advantage then i'm gonna make sure that i eat a good breakfast that's gonna be a one percent advantage and then yep. you go in and you're like i got a 15 percent advantage over most people here and so now you've leveled the field to where now you're just competing against yeah. one or two people it's awesome
Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Great. Uh, total truth right there. <laughs> I remember. So when I started fishing, that buddy, Jerry and I, we'd fish as a team, buddy tournaments. And uh, we'd show up to fish a bass tournament and we were there to fish. We're kids. We love fishing. We wanted to catch them. <laughs> Most of the guys were there to drink beer, chase yeah. women. <laughs> They'd come to you drunk or whatever, and we're like out there just, and that's how we could do it. We had that advantage. Yeah, 50% advantage <laughs> we had in that 50% tournament. Over the, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I remember one, though, I had this great guy. I loved him dearly. And uh, we were looking for him. It was a championship day. We were looking for him, and, you know, Jerry and I, they're like ready to go. And they're going, where, where is it? Where's so and so? And I don't mention his name, but anyway. He said, "Well, there's his truck," and they opened the door, and he fell out of the truck, <laughs> drunk on his drunk, just as drunk as Cooter Brown, you know. And they, so they, they uh, packed him. They were worried that they got him to the ramp and all that, and he got in his boat, and, and we all took off. Well, about one o'clock in the afternoon, they see his boat floating across his uh -oh. lake, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, he's dead!" And they went over there. He's still laid out there, hadn't fished a lick. He's just been sleeping in his boat. He got up and like they're like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" Yeah, I'm fine. He got up. And from one like one thirty to three thirty, he beat us like a drum and won the whole thing. <laughs> oh man, that's terrible. <laughs> like, like, but that was him. He was, he was where, awesome. Where was his advantage? I guess he wasn't worried about. <laughs> no, his advantage came from somewhere else. He was really, really, really good. He was a great angler and just a funny human being. Man, I love that guy. So he's passed, and he's he's wonderful. <laughs> Doug, Doug Gilly. God, what a wonderful guy. You just want to hug him every time. Well, so. Sean, what, what gets you the most excited right now? I'm I'm excited about uh the next level on the on the Bass Pro Tour and I'm excited about my new new job as a coach. I think that's neat. I've always loved to teach and I'd like to make a difference in some kids' lives, you know, as they as they go up and you, you know how much passion we have for fishing. And hopefully I can instill some of that and, and help them navigate through the, the little things they need to navigate through. And maybe, maybe who knows, we see a, you know, a really incredible angler come along in the next few years. Well, I'm sure that I'm sure that you will. Well, I want to thank you for, for spending this time with me and um, catching up a little bit. Oh, we've, got awesome. a lot of, we've got a lot of good stories that we didn't even go over on <laughs> yeah. this podcast, but um, we'll do it again. But mostly, you know, I told you, I've told you and I've told a lot of other people, um, you really, you really meant more to me than I think that you'll ever know. I oh, mean, I think. You, 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 you may have an idea, um, but the things that you told me, the support that you gave us, I mean, one, one quick story is that I called you, I said, I think we want to do a TV show. And you said immediately, Hey, I'll give you my crew. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. you said, I, great. I'll give Absolutely. you my crew. Do you know how much that cut? That cut so much of that process off. Okay, I got to find a cameraman. Who's a cameraman? How much do right. I pay him? What do I do? All of this stuff. And you just said, look, I'll give you my crew. Good. You're going to be great at it. So you gave me confidence and you gave me the resources. That's huge. And and coming from from somebody that had done it a long a long time, that was that was huge. But you helped me with sponsors. Uh, you helped me in so many different ways. And you did it without ever asking anything in return. And it was just completely unexpected for me because I figured the guy that's going to help me is probably going to be a, a guy similar to me, like a saltwater guy. And you come into my life blind and we don't know each other from Adam and you just, 
you just helped and you continued well, helping and you've continued helping all the way up to, to now. And I know that you're going to continue helping all of these kids, but just wanted to thank you and honor you for, for doing well, that really. Thank you. Cause I, you've, you've been a huge impact on both Rich and I's life. And, and, uh, I'd probably be still just pushing the boat along if it, if, if you hadn't but done you know, those even things. if you were doing that, you'd still be doing good. I know. At it. You're, I, and you, and there's uh, that. But you have done very well with what you've got. And I tell you, it's, uh, it's been fun watching you come along. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank so, you very much. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's an honor to have a good friend like you. All right, buddy. Thank you, my thank friend. Thank you. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.